Well, good morning, church. My name uh, is Jake Peterman. I serve as the junior high minister here on our Gilmer campus, and I have the privilege of being able to preach this morning out of God's word. Uh, If you've seen me up here on stage before on a uh, VBS or United, I'm usually dressed up in a pretty ridiculous outfit or wearing or doing some crazy dance moves up here. But Pastor Matt told me I can't do any front flips off the stage this morning, so I'll be refraining from that. But just a little bit about my Myself. Uh, I feel like a lot of people just see me at student events or on Wednesday nights. A little bit about myself. I was raised here in East Texas, been here all my life. I've been going to New Beginnings all my life as well. I've seen God's hand and all the things that he has done, is doing, will continue to do through New Beginnings. His presence is on this place, and I'm so excited to see all that is to come. I was saved here at New Beginnings when I was six years old, and then my senior year of high school on a student Wednesday night, I got called to ministry and God has just opened doors and allowed me to do things to further that calling in my life. And two milestones that I just recently hit as well within the past couple weeks was number one, I graduated from college, East Texas Baptist University, go Tigers. And uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, And then the second thing, which is much bigger, uh, within the same week, uh, I got married. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, my beautiful wife, Madeline, she's sitting out there. uh, And that's why I'm wearing this this morning because she picked this out for me. I would be wearing... uh, something Carhartt and maybe some boots with, uh, or, or some jeans with tears in them if it wasn't for her. So y'all can thank her for my awesome attire this morning. Uh, but we're going to dive into God's word this morning. Uh, and as we start the new year off, I'm starting this new year off as a married guy, figuring out what it's like to be married. And as we jump into the new year, does anybody ever do New Year's resolutions? Is that a thing anymore? Anybody ever done one before, have a decision, have a goal you want to do as you go into the new year? I know for me, uh, One year in high school, the New Year's resolution that I had was I would not drink Dr. Pepper for an entire year. If you know me, my favorite drink of all time is Dr. Pepper. In fact, I tell people if I'm ever in need of fluids, take that bag down, put a two liter of Dr. Pepper up there, suck that bad boy into me, I'm good to go, okay? That's that's how much I love it. So my resolution was I wouldn't drink any Dr. Pepper for an entire year year. Pretty daunting task I set before myself, but uh, to prepare my body for that, uh, the hours leading up to New Year's when the clock struck 12, I think I went through an entire 12-pack of Dr. Pepper by myself just to kind of prepare my body uh, for the lack of Dr. Pepper as I moved into this next year. But as soon as that as soon as it hit midnight, New Year's started. It was January 1st. I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start drinking water more. I'm going to be healthy. Great goals. Great, great resolution to have as a, as a sophomore in high school. Uh, but as a couple days went by, about three, four, five, didn't even make it a week, I started getting headaches and started feeling the uh, first stages of withdrawals from Dr. Pepper. So I said, okay, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit on that resolution. We're going to kind of bend it and kind of make it fit what I'm feeling. I'm going to say, I'm going to drink one a month. Okay? So as soon as I made that decision in my mind, went to the fridge, cracked one, drank it, felt much better. Uh, about a week or two went by, started feeling the same headaches. Withdrawals are coming back. Like, okay, okay, we're going we're gonna to rework this decision, this resolution, and we're going to do one a week. 
So one a week, cracked one right then, drank it, felt better. Uh, as that, the next month or and a half went by, just, it wasn't doing enough for me. So I said, okay, you know what? We're just gonna try this again next year, okay? We're gonna just, we're just gonna jump back on the Dr. Pepper train and we'll figure it out some other time, okay? But we do that a lot with decisions, with goals, especially around the new year that we set before ourselves. as we say, oh, I wanna do this. I wanna eat healthier. I wanna, uh, I wanna make more money. I wanna do this th- this year. I, I, I wanna exercise more, which are great things, not bad things at all. But whenever life starts getting more difficult and things come that we aren't expecting, we start kind of backtracking on those and we start reworking our decisions and our resolutions to fit our schedule. The definition of a resolution is a firm decision to do or not to do something. A firm decision that you are, that you are creating in your mind. So this morning, we're going to be looking at two passages today. The first one's going to be in the Old Testament, and the second one's going to be in the New. And in fact, uh, the New Testament passage that we're going to look at, which we'll spend a majority of our time in, is, my, is one of my, if not my favorite story in all of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles or whatever you use to look at God's Word, go with me to Genesis chapter 8. If you don't have anything, it'll be up on the screen. But Genesis chapter 8, we're going to be sort of at the tail end of Genesis 8, uh, starting in verse 20, and then we're going to look at Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 11. So they're right there next to each other. But as you're turning there, trying to find the place, let me kind of set the story up, set the scene up for you. So you know the story. This is Noah and his ark. God has seen all the people of the earth. He's seen their wicked, immoral ways. And God says, you know, we're going to clean, we're going to do a clean slate. I'm going to wipe the people from the earth because they are just turning away from me. And every day they're they're growing further and further away. So God tells Noah, hey, get your family, build a boat, put two of every animal in this boat because I'm going to flood the earth and every living thing that's not on that boat is going to die. So Noah does it. Sure enough, the floods come, the rain comes. It's an incredible storm. For 40 days and 40 nights, it rains. The whole earth floods. Everything that wasn't in the boat is wiped out. And then after the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the boat comes to rest on top of a mountain. And that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 8, starting in verse 20. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Genesis 9, starting in verse 11, just should be over on the next page. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Listen to this, it's so cool. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So God is establishing this covenant with Noah. And what a covenant is, it's a bond between two or more parties. A covenant is a bond between two or more parties. And this covenant that, that God is, is making with Noah is to say, hey, I'm not gonna flood the earth again. I'm not gonna kill every living thing on the earth again. You can see the evidence of my covenant by the rainbow. We can see that evidence still to this day. Whenever it rains, you see the rainbow. God makes a few more covenants in the Old Testament. Specifically, the next one is with Abraham. He tells Abraham that he will be made into a great nation that that nation will be led in the promised land, that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the earth. And that through Abraham, all of the world, all of the people of the earth will be blessed. God makes a covenant with Moses. And God tells Moses that if Israel obeys, they will be his chosen people, his treasured possession. 
and that ultimately these blessings will be for all people. So we see God establishing this covenant, this bond between people in the Old Testament. And then as we get closer to the New Testament, the birth of Jesus, we see that God is preparing a way for the new covenant, that new covenant who is his son. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have that new covenant, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're gonna be looking at the covenant of Jesus and what he has promised us. So I told you we were gonna be going to the New Testament. So flip over to Matthew chapter eight. We're gonna be in verses 18 through 27. Matthew chapter eight, starting in verse is 18. And as you're going there, let me set this scene up for you. So Jesus, he has begun his ministry. He just finished the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So Jesus, he's been going around different places. He's been preaching. He's been telling people about the good news and his coming and who he is. People have been seeing Jesus do miracles. He's healed people and the disciples are following him. People from all over the place are coming to see this man named Jesus who does miracles. And so that's where we're gonna pick up right now. Jesus is preaching and ministering to a group of people that have gathered around the banks of the Sea of Galilee. So Matthew chapter Eight, starting in verse 18, it says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this time. Father, be in this room. Lord, bless our hearts as we unpack your word. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So how many people in this room have been on a mission trip before? Anybody been on a mission trip? Yep. Okay. A few people. How many of you have been on a mission trip out of the country, out of the United States? All right. So the first time I ever went out of the United States was on a mission trip. Uh, never been out of the United States before to, to this point. So I decided to take a small, small trip, take a little step uh, to Africa, okay, about 18 hour plane ride, okay? So that was my first trip, my first ever moment out of the United States. And let me tell you, if you've ever been out of the United States, you begin to realize immediately once you step off and out and out of that airport that it's different. It's different than what you left back home. And in fact, the few the, the first few days that we were there in Africa, I was feeling very uncomfortable. We weren't staying at a Holiday Inn or a Hilton or a La Quinta, okay? We were staying in like a two-story building that was stationed with armed guards on the outside. You had to be careful what you ate. You couldn't drink the water. There was no AC. You had mosquito nets. And it was just like, it, it was an uncomfortable situation for me because I wasn't used to this. I was used to being able to go brush my teeth with the water from the sink. I was used, I was used to taking a, a shower and not having to worry about water getting in my mouth. I was used to just eating whatever is in front of me. I was used to not having to worry about getting bit by a mosquito and having some unknown disease. And being there, it was very uncomfortable for me for, for the first little bit. But as we started going out into the different parts of Africa, what we were there to do, share the love of Jesus and provide medical help to people, I just... I saw more and more what true 
truly uncomfortable felt like. We would go to these different villages and they would have huts about the core of the size of the stage, like 10 family members are living in. They had barely anything, but they were still happy with what they had. And I would think about my life. I get upset when they get my order wrong at, at Whataburger. And it's like, what am I, am I really uncomfortable with, with where I am? And then I think about my life that I spend with Jesus and, and, and the things God tells me. And, I, and he calls us to go out and to tell people about Jesus. And he calls us to go out and serve. And he calls us to go on mission trips. But there are moments where I'm like, man, that, I, I don't want to tell them about Jesus. I don't want to go ask them if I can pray because I feel uncomfortable. I've been there before. I know what it feels like. But if we look here at these first few verses, we see a character, a person who does the exact same thing, has the exact same feeling. And as we read the rest of this passage, we're gonna see four different people or four different groups of people who all have different conversations with Jesus. And as we look through this, and as I was reading this and studying this, I, I noticed that each one of these situations I've had in my life, I've experienced. I've experienced the hurt and the pain that some of these people experience. I've, I've experienced not focusing on what God has called me to. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. And as, that we, as we head into 2022, I pray that these things will speak to your heart and that you will be able to look inside and say, am I truly living the way that God has called me to? So let's look at verse 19, Matthew 8. It says, and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, let me tell you what a scribe is, okay? So a, a scribe, if you don't know, was somebody in that time who was a very religious stature. They, they were high up on the, on the society and high up as in like, oh man, they are way better at religion than I am. They would walk around in flashy clothing. They'd have very ornate jewelry on. They lived in a very lavish house. They would have plenty of food to eat and people saw them there. That's a scribe. That's somebody who loves Jesus because look how much they have. Look how good they are at talking about Jesus. And so this scribe who was definitely dressed in his elaborate clothing came up to Jesus and said, Lord, let me go with you. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus' simple answer is this, verse 20. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of God has nowhere to lay his head. What Jesus is telling this guy is, hey, my life, it's not comfortable. In fact, it's very uncomfortable. We don't have all of these things to make us feel comfortable. In fact, we just have exactly what we need for each and every single day. This scribe, he wasn't used to that kind of lifestyle. And in fact, he didn't want any part of it because if you notice, there's no other conversation with the scribe. He just walks off and he's out of the picture. So when we think about this in our own lives, there are moments that we've had before where Jesus calls us to go tell somebody about Jesus, to go pray with somebody, to go pray with that coworker, to go tell that family member about Jesus, to go on that mission trip or to go serve in that area, but we do it, but, but we don't do it. We're hesitant towards it because we don't feel confident and we feel uncomfortable doing it. But it's in the uncomfortable moments when we're serving Jesus that God provides us his comfort. And it's only in those moments that we get that comfort. And so that's the first thing I want us to look at this morning is that Jesus calls us to go out of our comfort zone. As we head into this new year, what is that thing that you've been putting off? What is that thing that every time you, you walk past that person, you see them and you said, man, maybe I should tell them about Jesus, but you don't. This is God calling us to go out of our comfort zone, to do things that only he can do and he, only he can help us through because he gives us that comfort in those uncomfortable situations. It's time to take that leap of faith. Look, I've gone, like I said before, I, I've gone through seasons of life where I don't wanna do things because I'm, I'm nervous, I'm scared. I don't have the courage. I don't have the boldness. 
But God calls us to be uncomfortable. He calls us to be uncomfortable. Verse 21 says, And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me tell you a little about what this disciple is. So if you think about it, it says, oh, a, a disciple, is this one of the 12? No, it's not. The people that would follow Jesus around from town to town, they were also called disciples. They were a disciple. They weren't the disciples of Jesus. They weren't one of the faithful 12. This was just somebody who followed Jesus around and listened to his teaching. Verse 22 says, and Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So we have a disciple, a follower of Jesus who comes up to him and says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus is like, now leave the dead to bury their own dead. Just come follow me. When we read that, it's like, man, Jesus is being a little harsh here. Like, what's up with that? He won't even let the guy go bury his father. I mean, come on. So I was doing a little research on this and there's two schools of thought that scholars have as to what the situation really was about. So here's the first one. So in Jewish tradition, whenever somebody would say, hey, I'm going to bury my blank, fill in the blank, it didn't necessarily mean that they were dead and they were actively going to bury them. What it meant most of the time was that they, that person, that loved one was on the brink of death, but they didn't know when they were gonna die. It could be the next day, the next month, a couple years from then. They knew that it was gonna be eventually, but they didn't know when. The second school of thought is, everybody say this word, ossuary. Ossuary, you learn a new word, not ostrich, ossuary, okay? You learned a new word this morning. So what that is, is after a loved one had died, they would wrap them in cloth, they would dig a shallow grave, they would put them in the grave, and then a year later after their death, they would go exhume the body and they would take the bones and they would put them in a box called an ossuary or in simple terms, a bone box because bones go in a box, pretty, yeah, pretty smart. And then they would put the box in a tomb and they would seal the tomb. And that was the final burial. So scholars would say that one of these two things was happening in this conversation. And Jesus knew this because he knew the culture and he's Jesus. He knows everything. And so in a long story short, what this man was doing was he was making excuses to go to not follow Jesus, right? There's nothing else saying this man dropped everything and he went and followed Jesus. See, Jesus commands all of us. Jesus commands every bit of our being to go and follow him. See, this man, he may have wanted to follow Jesus, but he was only willing to give 99% of himself to Jesus. He said, I'm gonna keep that 1% from myself. Let me tell you this. If you say, if you give 99% to Jesus, you're keeping 100% of yourself away from him. He commands all of us. He commands every bit of us. Jesus didn't give 99% on the cross. He didn't give 99.9%. He gave 100%. And that's what he commands of us. So this disciple, he was focused on worldly things. Now, I've gotten in this habit before of you have things that God has blessed you with and you start focusing your time and attention on those, which again, it's not a bad thing to have possessions, the things that you enjoy, hobbies. It's not a bad thing to have those. But whenever they start taking priority of your life and they become the one thing that you look forward to and the one thing that you put all of your time and your energy for and Jesus keeps getting further and further back of the line, that's when it becomes a problem. You see, God, he says, we need to focus our eyes on eternity. We need to focus our eyes on eternity. And something that I would uh, tell my junior high students is we need to get the focus off I and the eyes focused. We get the focus off I and the eyes focused. Meaning we need to stop looking at what we have, what I've done, what I have accomplished. Look at me, look at me. Instead of that, we need to look towards Jesus and the cross and what he's blessed us with and what we can do to serve his people and not worry about earthly possessions that are gonna pass away in the future. How many of you have heard of the phrase, measure twice, cut once? Anybody? 
Okay, so my kind of uh, philosophy behind that is eyeball it, cut, miscut three times, go to the store, get more, more wood, and come back, try it again, okay? I'm not very good. I was like, I'll get it done, quick, quick. I've had my fair share of, of, of mishaps from that. Now, my dad, on the other hand, uh, I didn't learn that from him because my dad, he's the kind of guy that can fix anything with nothing. You know what I mean? Like, if it's broke, he can fix it, and he's gonna do it well. And so all the, any mechanical construction, plumbing, you name it, he's taught me, and I kind of have these things stored away. There was one winter we were out, um, they owned some land here in Gilmer. We were out cutting some trees, clearing some brush. You know, I've done that before. Cutting some brush and he, would, he had the chainsaw. He'd cut down the tree. I'd come over and he'd chop it up. I'd pick the logs up and put them in the tractor. I never knew why I was always the grunt to pick everything up, but I was. He'd just chop everything up, pick it up, put it in the bucket. And that's what we were doing. Uh, that's what we were out there to do. Okay. And then there was this, there was this giant tree next to the road on, on the fence line. And he said, man, I, I wanna cut some of these branches down that are overhanging so they don't fall on the road one day. I said, all right, that's fine. Uh, you don't get the pole saw out of the barn that's like 200 yards away. He's like, nah, we'll just get it with a chainsaw. Let me get in the bucket. I said, okay. So he gets in the bucket of the tractor, right? I'm sitting there, I start raising him up. We've done it before, it's not a big deal. I've, we have been in this situation before. So he's staying on the edge of the lip of the bucket here on the back and I'm raising him up in the air. And we're going to each little tree and he's cutting this one down, limbs falling, cutting this one. And then finally there's one way up in the air. We don't need to cut it, he just wants to cut it. And so he's way up in there, he's like, all right, max it out. I wanna get this limb. I was like, ah, are you sure? Man, we can go get the pole saw, easy cut and be good. He's like, no, no, we're already here. Let's do it how it is. And, yes, sir. And so raise him up. And before I, I finish the story, everything's fine. Okay, not, not, nothing bad happens. All right, so you can laugh as the story goes on. Uh, so as, as he's raising up to cut this limb down, the limb's overhang. It's not even overhanging the road. Okay, we're not even doing what we were there to do. He just didn't like this limb there for some reason. But this limb's a good 10, 20 feet out over, like it's overhanging me on the tractor, okay? And, he's, and he starts cutting and he stops and he's like, hey, this limb's gonna fall on you. I said, really, really, it's gonna fall on me. And so he starts cutting. I'm like bracing for this thing to fall. And he cuts it, the thing comes crashing down. I go like this, the limb bounces, hits the ground, comes forward, and then it comes like into the tractor area. And this is a cageless tractor and it pops back like this. You ever driven a tractor before? It's got that stick that makes the bucket go up and down, you know? So it pops back and it shoves that stick up like that. And the bucket goes like the Superman ride at Six Flags, okay? He comes flying down, chainsaw going, and he throws it out as he's going to the ground. He hits the ground, leaves and dirt go everywhere. I'm like, oh my gosh, dad, dad. He's like, oh, what'd you do? I was like, it wasn't me. It was the, it was the limb back here. I run up to him. The second thing he says is, don't tell mom. And I was like, oh, yes, sir. And my mom's, I think, in here. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. So, so I said, don't tell mom. I was like, oh, well, I just told mom now. So I'm sorry, dad. But we do that a lot in our life. We have tools. We have the things that allow us to accomplish tasks, but we seem to go the wrong way sometimes. In our spiritual life, whenever we face difficult situations, whenever we face storms, whenever we face hardships, it's always, how can I accomplish this? How can I beat this? How can I weather the storm? How can I push through it? Instead of leaning into Jesus, who is waiting there with open arms saying, let me help you. Let me give you that strength. Let me give you that peace. I mean, the disciples here, which we're about to read, the ones that are with Jesus for all this time, they still tried on their own power to weather this storm that we're about to see. Verse 23, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. 
And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So these disciples, think about this, okay? Four of these disciples, uh, Andrew, Peter, uh, James, and John, they were all fishermen. They came from a fishing background. In fact, Jesus found them and called them to follow him when they were fishing. So they've seen it all. They've seen every aspect that the ocean can can throw at them, okay? They, they've seen everything. They, they, they've seen storms before. They've, they've weathered storms. But this one was so scary, was so powerful that it was recorded in scripture. It's literally a biblical proportion. And these fishermen, these men who've been on the water, they were so scared that they had no idea what to do. So they ran to Jesus. Has anyone ever been on the, on, on the water when a storm hits? Okay, it's scary. It's awful. I've been there before. It's not fun. We are in a flat bottom out in Lake uh, Tawakini. It was awful. And so storms, they're awful. And so when we, when we hear this, this word storm, okay, there's only a few instances of a storm mentioned in scripture, a storm being of like, like water, like, like rain. So the first storm being we talked about at the beginning with Noah and the flood, that storm, that was literally a biblical proportion. Then the story of Jonah and the fish when that storm came. And then this one with Jesus when he calms the storm. And so the disciples, they're, they're like us. They're like me. Whenever something happens in life, we try to fix it by our own ability, our own strength, and we don't run to Jesus. The disciples, they were, I guarantee they're sitting there trying to fix those, make those sails go the right way, steer the, steal the rudder, get the oars, and try to paddle themselves out of the situation. But when they couldn't do it, they said, man, we got to run to Jesus. We got to run to Jesus for help. We got to run to him for salvation. We got to run to him for strength because we're not going to make it. We're going to sink if we don't run to Jesus. In 2022, there may be a storm that's going on right now in your life. You know Jesus. He's the Lord of your life. But you're still trying to fix the problem, the storm on your own. And you're not running to Jesus. Let this year be the year where you say, I'm gonna stop running. I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna turn around and say, Jesus, I need your help to weather the storm. Because if I don't, it's gonna swallow me up and spit me out and I'm never gonna be the same again. Let Jesus be your strength. Let Jesus be your rock. Let him be your salvation. Because he is our only hope. He is our only strength. And without him, we're gonna end up like the last characters. So if you notice, we're coming to the end of the passage, but there's still one more character to talk about. This sea, the Sea of Galilee, it was a large, large body of water, means literally a sea. And so around the Sea of Galilee, there were different towns. And a lot of these towns, the majority of what they did, their professions was fishing. And so for there to be a storm at the sea, there were other boats out there on the sea that were experiencing this storm, were experiencing these high winds, these waves, but they didn't have Jesus to run to like the disciples did during the storm. They had to rely on their own strength. They had to rely on the craftsmanship that they made that boat with. They had to rely everything on their own power and strength to weather that storm. You see, these people remind me of people who don't know Jesus and don't have a relationship with him. Because Jesus, he is our everlasting life. There is nothing in this world that will give us life, that will give us peace, that will give us courage, that will give us strength like Jesus. And these people at the sea, they were experiencing the storms that life has to throw at them quite literally. I've been through storms in my life. 
And maybe there's some of you in here today that are experiencing a storm in your life right now. And you're saying, man, 2022, I, I hope it's different. Well, let me tell you, it can be different because through Jesus, your life can change. Your life can be made new if you just say yes to him. See, we make these resolutions that I talked about at the beginning. We make these resolutions a lot. And sometimes they're, they're good resolutions and we have good intentions behind them. Like, you know, my resolution is I'm gonna pray more. My resolution, I'm gonna read my Bible more. My resolution is I'm gonna go to church more. My resolution is I'm gonna love my family more, my spouse more, my kids more. I'm gonna serve more. But see, here's the problem with resolutions. They're malleable. They get broken. They are able to be changed based on our situations. And so when we think of a resolution, Jesus isn't a resolution. He's a covenant. The covenant that he, that he established with Noah. The covenant he established with Abraham, with Moses. The covenant that he established through the blood of his son, Jesus. That's what we put our hope in. Not in a resolution that we're gonna survive this on our own strength, that we're gonna weather the storm on our own. We put our hope in Jesus. You see, a resolution, it's not your solution. The covenant is your solution. And the covenant of Jesus that bonds us together. The covenant of Jesus that says, hey, you may be walking away, you may be facing a trial, a struggle, a storm that you've never encountered before in your life, but I promise you, if you say yes to Jesus and you lean into him for strength, he's gonna be right there waiting with open arms saying, let me give you peace. Let me give you strength. Let me take this burden from you so that you can live a life that you were meant to live. Romans 10 verses nine through 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's it. You just gotta say yes to Jesus. Yes to his son that died on the cross for our sins. Yes to the resurrection. That's what we hang our hope on is that covenant, the covenant of Jesus, his covenant blood. That's it. That's the answer. There's no answer within ourself. There's no answer within our own ability. There's no answer within our own devotion. And so my prayer is that 2022 be the year that it changes. These past two years, they've been pretty awful. I know, they've been awful for me. My prayer is that this year is different. That it's not a, I'm gonna try to be different. If you try, nothing's gonna change. But if God is with you and God is your strength and God is your hope and he is your rescue and he is your refuge, things are gonna change. Because without him, we have no hope, but with him, that's where we get our everlasting life. That's where he is our strength. That's where we begin to focus our eyes on eternity. That's it. Now, when we say yes to Jesus and we lean into him for strength, the storm doesn't immediately go away. There's still some time. It may get harder because Jesus never said life was gonna be easy. But he did say through him, it wouldn't be impossible. You see, for me, a lot of times when I face storms in life, I try to fix it on my own. I do my own strength. I just try to lean into what I have. And then God comes in and says, what are you doing? You realize you're just sinking further and further. You realize you're, you're using a funnel to scoop water out of a boat. You're not doing anything. It's not working. So my prayer is that this morning, that this be a turning point 
in your life. That maybe somebody says yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe that somebody gives a storm or a situation over to Jesus for the first time. Maybe your prayer is, God, you need to help me get out of my comfort zone. God, you need to help me have eyes for eternity. Because it's only through him that those things are going to happen. So this morning, as we close, we're going to have ministers at the front. If you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life, please come down front and talk to them. If you just want to pray at the altar, it's going to be open. See, God, he wants to heal you. He wants to change your heart. But it's only going to happen if you let him in. We can't do this on our own. We need him and him alone. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. God, I pray that this year it be different for somebody. Father, that a storm that's going on in somebody's life, Lord, that you will be the peace and the calm in it. Father, that you will show someone that you are the only strength, that they don't have to do it on their own, that you are there right beside them waiting with open arms. So Father, as your spirit is still in this room, Lord, we give this time to you. Let people respond as they need. Should I end that we pray? Amen.